Hey, how you doing? This is Craig Beck from StopDrinkingExpert.com, the website that helps people just like you to quit drinking without willpower, without rehab, without embarrassing group meetings, without any silly gimmicks, just common sense, reframing, and a system that's been proven over the last 13 years to work. So if you're interested in getting started with my program, the first step, and the only step actually is to <laughs> go to the website, sign up for the free quit drinking webinar, and I'll explain how the process works. Uh, someone said to me the other day, he said, your website is infuriating, Craig. I said, why? He said, you go there and in the right hand corner, it says members log in. He said, but there's nowhere to start the program. I said, yeah, because you have to go through the webinar first because um, what I don't want is lots and lots of people joining the program, but not many of them actually ending up sober. Um, if you're willing to put the time and effort in to sit through me talking for 30, 40 minutes about how this process works, I know you're committed. I know you're going to do the stuff I tell you to do. Uh, and it's as straightforward as that. If you do what I tell you to do, you will quit drinking. It's it, That's the end of it. Uh, so that's why that process is that. So today I wanted to talk about that thorny subject of um, why it's so difficult to stay permanently sober, or so it appears. Uh, what What is that famous quote? Um, it may even be an Oscar Wilde quote, or I may be hideously wrong, but it's like uh, quitting drinking is easy. Why? I've done it a thousand times. Staying sober, that's the challenge. So why is it when you completely, 100% have bought into the story that I'm telling you, that there are no benefits at all to alcohol, there is zero benefit, you hate the stuff, you understand that it is poison, why is it with that knowledge you still choose to go back to drinking? Let's talk about that. So the reason is, is pretty straightforward. First of all, your knowledge about this drug, and as you've absorbed from my course and from my books and things like that, is conscious. You are consciously listening to what I'm telling you, and you are choosing to agree with it. You are choosing to accept it as fact. Now, some people listen to me, and they just dismiss everything I say. That is the right of the conscious mind. The conscious mind is always judging everything, and it can't stop. It cannot help itself. You know, it's it's judging everyone around you. When you walk into a room, it judges who's attractive, who's this, who's that. And that might sound like a very, you know, self-centered thing, but it's actually also saving your life because it's always asking questions like, how fast is that car approaching? How high is this, you know, balcony that I'm standing on? How much risk am I at? It's always asking these questions that save your life. But it always has the option to create a judgment based on that. So it can say, well, the car's approaching, but it's coming very slowly. Or we're on a balcony, but we're only on the first floor. The railing is sturdy. We're probably safe. It's, so it's making opinions and judgments. Now, it just so happens if you've done my course or read my book and you like it, you agree with me. Your conscious mind has agreed with my statements that there is no benefit to alcohol. It is nothing more than attractively packaged poison marketed by billions of dollars in an environment where it, it is given permission to say anything it wants. 
And that doesn't apply to any other product on planet Earth. Only alcohol can make such erroneous claims as drink our brand of poison and you will be more attractive to the opposite sex. Drink our beer and you'll have more friends. Only alcohol is permitted that. So you know all this. You agree with me. So why do you want to drink alcohol? And that's because the, the desire to drink alcohol is not in the conscious mind. It's not a conscious decision to drink poison. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? In the same way that you wouldn't consciously just decide to walk slowly in front of a car that was approaching very quickly. This is a subconscious decision. Your desire to drink alcohol is a subconscious program buried in a part of your mind that you are prohibited from accessing. And there are many, many things in that part of your mind, millions, billions of things, your whole personality is in there. Your, the, your morals as a person, your belief structures, how you believe you look to other people, what you think is important in life, how you drive a car, how you ride a bike, how you speak English. It's all in there in the subconscious mind, all these millions of programs running. Now, unfortunately for us problem drinkers, there are programs in there that we put there that facilitate the drinking of alcohol. And we've done this by repetition. We have repeatedly taught our subconscious brain that alcohol provides a service in this specific environment. And it's normally to do with relaxation. You get stressed, you drink alcohol. You get stressed, you drink alcohol. You get stressed, you drink alcohol. And eventually your subconscious mind gets to the point where it says, all right, I get it. This is a fairly repetitive routine. There's no point us spending a lot of processing power thinking about this every time. Let's just create a program and we'll have that activate every time he comes or she comes into an environment that is stressful. So now it's automatic in the same way that your heart beats automatically. You don't have to consciously count, do you? One, two, three, four, because what would happen when you fell asleep? You'd die. So there's all these programs that run automatically. They don't ask your opinion. They don't ask for any input. And in fact, they ignore input. You can't consciously stop your heart. You can't tell yourself to die. Impossible. And so you're dealing with something here that's very powerful. You've got a program in your head that facilitates alcohol that you can't access. And you can't access it for a very good reason. If you could get access to that part of your brain, I would think you would be dead in under seven seconds. You, you'd, do, you'd touch something. <laughs> you'd, you'd, what happens if I turn this? Oh, I'm dead. You, you, there's just too much important stuff going on there. So you are prevented from tinkering under the hood, so to speak, or uh, for my English friends, tinkering under the bonnet. So... How do we get rid of these pesky programs that we have accidentally, inadvertently placed in our subconscious mind? And the answer is manifold, but firstly, we've got to stop using the program. Every time we allow a program in our mind, in our subconscious mind to run, we give it fuel. We charge it up. Every time we choose not to use it, 
it loses 1% of its battery. You imagine a little battery scale like on your phone. So we've got to stop these alcohol programs from running. And that takes a long time to get from 100% battery down to zero. It's not a case of choosing not to drink alcohol 100 times. It's preventing the program running so that it just slowly drains out and loses its power. And eventually it gets down to the point where it's really weak and pathetic and it can't do much. So sometimes we have these programs that have an expectation of when and how often they're going to be activated. So if you've been drinking a bottle of wine every day because you come home from work every day feeling stressed, then this program is pretty much near the top of the list. It's going to activate fairly often. It expects to be activated often. And so this is built into the program. Now, you've got other programs that can stay at 100%, even as though they're not being used, because they have an expectation to be used very seldomly. For example, it's tradition for you to have a bottle of champagne on your birthday. That's what you've always done since you were 21 years old. Yep bought a very special bottle of champagne, and you had it on your birthday. So this program is there, like a phone that's been charged fully and left in the drawer turned off. You turn it on, it's still got power. It's just sitting there waiting. So you could be sober for 11 months, going great, and all of a sudden, you get to your birthday, and you get this crazy desire to drink alcohol. And maybe you do. Maybe you fall off the wagon. And you can't understand it. You're saying to yourself, but I know I've heard what Craig says about this stuff. I knew it so well and life was going so great. Why did I drink? Well, it's because you activated one of these programs that only had an expectation of being activated very seldomly anyway. So you've got to, you've got to plan ahead and have this expectation. You've got to think about how alcohol has been woven into your life. Where are these anchors going to be? You're not going to be able to predict all of them. Some of them you won't even consciously know about. It will be a smell of some perfume or a tune, a piece of music that you never knew has become connected to alcohol. But there are some obvious ones. Vacations. Going on vacation. Especially if you always go to the same place on vacation. You know, birthdays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, holidays. You know, these sort of things. And so if you're newly sober, you may be 100% confident in your sobriety. You may be loving life. But I always say to people, for the first 18 months, two years maybe even, you've still got to be slightly on your guard. And you've still got to do a little bit of forward planning if you want to maintain your sobriety. You should always be kind of thinking, right, what's coming up? that I've not experienced sober before. Um, I did a coaching session two days ago with a lady uh, who's just about to go on her annual skiing trip with her sister. Always a big drinking affair. It's skiing and drinking. That's pretty much all they've ever done. And um, she was three, three weeks sober and approaching this vacation. So you have to, A, plan ahead. It may be that your vacation needs to be slightly different this time. 
instead of there being long periods of just sitting around doing nothing, maybe you need to put in some activities. Maybe you need to put in some excursions, some trips, some learning, whatever you need to put in just to occupy the time that you would have spent drinking alcohol and just put in some more stuff. See some more of the amazing scenery. Go to more of the places that you can visit. Really pack out your vacation. Or maybe um, you just need to change your mindset. Instead of seeing this as a big challenge that's coming up, like, oh, my God, how am I going to get through this vacation without drinking alcohol? See it as a challenge. See it as a massive project. You are doing this as an experiment to see how good a vacation sober can feel. And you know you can do stuff like this because you will have done it in other areas of your life. You know, think about your career. Think about your work. If, if you run your own business, if you had a potential client and this was a multi-million dollar deal and the only thing you had to do to secure the deal was stay sober for two weeks, you'd do it, wouldn't you? You'd do it. You'd make sure it happened because you'd be focused. You'd be laser focused on what the point of the next two weeks is going to be. The point of the next two weeks is to stay sober and get a million pound contract. Well, the benefits that come from quitting drinking are worth much more than a million dollars because, you know, you can have a million dollars and liver cirrhosis and the money won't mean a single thing to you. You can have a hundred million dollars and end stage liver cancer and you won't give a shiny shit about a single one of those dollars. So it's about mindset. It's about reframing how you see things and what this means to you. So to summarize, how do you stay sober in the long run? Predominantly, it's about preventing the alcohol program from running. All that Pavlovian conditioning that you have in your subconscious mind, we need to give it time to weaken and fade. And that will take time for various different programs to erode. You need to plan your sober life so that you don't get blindsided by anchors that you really could have predicted and anticipated. And you need to have a, re you need to have a craving response plan as well. So let's say you've done all your homework, you've planned the vacation, but you, you, you tread on an anchor. It's a piece of music. It's the smell of someone's perfume. You tread on an anchor and, oh, my God, the cravings are just like off the scale. What are you going to do? How are you going to prevent yourself from quitting drinking? Now, if you've done my course, you'll know that you do the four things. And if you do the four things, you don't drink alcohol. It's as simple as that. And you also need to have a relapse recovery plan. I know it's horrible to think about falling off the wagon and quitting drinking, but it happens. So what are you going to do? What if halfway through your vacation, you drink alcohol? You've got two choices. You've got a Y junction when that happens. You can do what a lot of people do and throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, I've screwed it now. I've ruined it. I've destroyed everything. And that Craig Beck guy, he's a scammer. His system didn't work. Look, I'm drinking alcohol. You can, you can say any of that stuff to yourself that you want. And a lot of people go down that route and just start drinking again. 
But if you take that route, all that will happen is within about seven to 10 days, you will be back at the level of your drinking you were before you stopped drinking. Doesn't matter how long you've been sober. Even if you've been sober for 15 years, within seven to 10 days, you will be drinking the same volume of alcohol that you were on the day that you quit drinking. That's how it goes. It's crazy. So if you take that that you know that road in the Y junction, all that's going to happen is you're going to get pretty miserable. You're going to get very depressed, and it's going to take you months to get back on the straight and narrow. In my experience, the best thing to do is take the other road. Is to dust yourself down, say, "Well, that was annoying. I'm pretty disappointed," and you carry on. You do what you've been doing for months. And you may have heard me made this analogy before, but I think it's an important one. Don't give alcohol more power than it needs in that situation. If you fell off the wagon, it's disappointing, it sucks, it's horrible, but don't give alcohol more power than it deserves. This alcoholism thing, it's a bit like, imagine if you went to the doctor one day and he said, well, I'm very sorry about this, but you've got diabetes. And it's incurable, but if you take this medicine and you watch what you eat, you should live a perfectly normal lifespan. And so you do what the doctor says. And everything's going great. And then two years later, you, for some unknown reason, you have a diabetic flare-up and you feel awful. You can't go into work. You're just absolutely in bits. You wouldn't respond to that situation by saying, well, this medicine's obviously a complete scam. I'm not taking that again, throwing that away, and I'm just going to eat chocolate and Haribo for the rest of my life. That would not be your response to that situation. You would be disappointed, upset, a bit depressed because you'd had this flare-up. might feel sorry for yourself for a little bit. But the next day, what would you do? You'd, you'd take the tablets... You get back on your eating plan and you would carry on as you had before. And that's what I'm telling you to do with alcohol. If you do hit that relapse, if you do fall off the wagon, dust yourself down, go back and do the course again, start from day one and just crack on with it. All right. All right. Thanks for watching. I hope that helped. And don't forget, if you are interested in getting started on my coaching program, uh, then go to stopdrinkingexpert.com. Sign up for today's free quit drinking webinar. I'll give you a free copy of my best-selling book, Alcohol Life, to me just for turning up. And I wish you the best of luck. Thanks. See you next week.